0: Grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As human beings, we are hardwired to need to understand the purpose of what we do. We want perspective on anything that we do. And I I see this always starting at a young age when I tell my little kids uh, to do something, and what's the first question they ask? Why? Right? And my dad then tries to speak through me, and the answer, you know, is because I said so. Now go to your room. I mean, that's the. Um, but I, I try to take that step back and, and remember that. God did wire us to want to know why. And, and my children, when they ask why, they're not trying to be disrespectful or disobedient. They're trying to understand the purpose behind what I'm asking them to do and, and why. They're trying to fit everything into a framework. They're trying to understand how the world works. And they want to know the purpose of what I'm having them do. And it's, it's part of their own world building and map making in their own minds. Uh, and we see that not just in little kids but we see it throughout. I was looking up a bunch of um, social experiments this week uh, that have been done over the last few years uh, by scientists in our country and, uh, and there was a very consistent uh, finding uh, and, and that is that um, the, these experiments were focused more on money. They were focused on how much of an incentive is money. And so they set up experiments where they had uh, people do Fairly meaningless tasks. Uh, you know, they, you know, try and jump rope, or uh, fill out a crossword puzzle, or memorize a bunch of numbers. Uh, you know, physical and mental uh, things, that just to have them do. And, and they promised monetary rewards. If you do a decent job, uh, you'll get X amount of money. You do a better job, you'll get more money. And if you do the best job, you'll get the most money of anybody. And, they, and the expectation was that the, the money, monetary incentive would, would increase uh, the quality of the, of the work being done, you know, the work of jumping rope or memorizing numbers, you know. And what they actually found was the exact opposite more money did not result in better performance. They, they, they thought there was going to be a clear correlation, hey, I mean, we're, there's incentives. I mean, this is just, this is how our job market is built and designed. You do a good job, you get a bonus. You, you have a good performance review, you'll get a raise. And, and we have an entire system that's built around, the more work, the better work you do, there's gonna be a monetary incentive. And what they found is it's actually it doesn't work at all. Uh, basically, people need enough money, you want enough money to pay bills, but after that, it doesn't make you work any better or harder to have more money, uh, and most especially what they found in the study, if the tasks are meaningless. Memorizing numbers, there's no purpose to memorizing numbers. You're doing it for the sake of doing it, and money's not enough to make you want to just memorize meaningless numbers. Money's not enough by itself to make you want to jump rope better. You know, now, if you're faced off against someone, now that's a competition, that triggers a different incentive, but the point being that money is not enough of an incentive. People need purpose. And then that was actually underscored in an even older study uh, where they actually hired people and paid them a very good wage for the time. I'm not sure exactly what it equates to in modern dollars, but, uh, but, but paid them quite well and had them come out and dig a ditch all morning long. And then they took a lunch break, and then after lunch went back to work and they filled in the ditch that they had just dug. And then they got, you know, 200 bucks, thanks for the hard day's work, see you tomorrow. People came back the next day. All right, we're going to go over here. We're going to dig a ditch. And they dug a ditch all morning. Took a lunch break. Spent the afternoon filling in the ditch. Here's your 200 bucks. By the end of a week, no one came back. They were getting 200 bucks. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's a, you know, or the equivalent. I mean, they were getting a decent wage, but it was the job was designed to be so purposeless, so meaningless. That even a decent wage for people who are otherwise... I mean, they, these were unemployed people that they asked to do this. That, that it, was, it just they needed purpose. And even and having a boondoggle, having a thing to do just because it earns money was not enough. People at that point would rather find another job where there was purpose. Where at least they were accomplishing something, right? And so knowing that purpose matters, and purpose is the thing that helps us be motivated to do the things we've been called to do. Uh, the text for this morning, Romans 8, gives us the purpose... Of prayer. See, we've been talking about prayer the last couple of months, and we've talked about different aspects of prayer, different ways that we pray. We've talked about how, uh, from James, that we pray uh, for healing because prayer is powerful and effective uh, to heal people. That's great. Uh, yeah, let's pray for healing. We've talked about from Timothy raising up holy hands of prayer for blessing those around us. And again, a good thing. We want to bless those uh, who don't know Jesus. We want to bless those around us. Through our prayers, absolutely. We learn from Genesis that we pray prayers of intercession, that when someone's facing a crisis or catastrophe, that we pray uh, to intercede and and jump in the way uh, on their behalf. And and these are all good reasons for prayer, but they're all kind of piecemeal. I mean, They're they're this and that. And Romans 8 collects it all together. Romans 8 gives us the larger purpose that helps us see why these other uh, individual facets of prayer matter. Okay? So with that, let's go to Romans 8 and see exactly what Paul uh, is, is teaching us as far as the, the purpose of prayer, to give us the right perspective. All right, so starting with verse 18. Uh, and, and I love the way Paul starts here because he starts in a way that, that modern church sometimes doesn't start. Modern Christians sometimes skip this step. Uh, that he talks about the present sufferings. One of the things I see uh, just in Christian culture today is, is a lot of kind of a knee-jerk assumption that uh, everything for Christians should just be great. Christians should just be happy all the time. You should just be like this, oh, pretty, you know, nothing bad ever happens to us. We love Jesus, you know, la-di-da, and everything's great. And that's and not actually what the Bible says. That's not what God says. God does not say, oh, you became a believer, and now everything's going to be hunky-dory and bubbles and kittens for you. Like, no, Paul says we have present sufferings. Let's be real, people, Paul is saying. Let's not sugarcoat, let's not pretend we have sufferings. And there's a reason that we have suffering, and and he gives them encouragement that it's because of glory, but there's a reason that we have sufferings, and so he breaks it down uh, through three different ways. And, And so first is, he talks about how creation is broken. Creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So just to break that down, this world is not the way it was meant to be. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't just take themselves down. They took the whole creation down. The whole cosmos got broken because of Adam and Eve. And and what Paul's saying, it's not even creation's fault. You know, it's not like uh, the trees lied to God. You know, the the mountains didn't fall for Satan's temptation. Uh, The oceans didn't eat the fruit of the forbidden tree, right? They didn't do any of that. Uh, And yet, because we did... They suffer. And so, because of our actions, creation is groaning. And I love that choice of words that Paul uses that it groans and waits for the day when creation won't be broken anymore. And when we look around us and we see the, the results of a broken creation, we see earthquakes and forest fires and tsunamis. These are all things that are a result of the brokenness of our sin. Uh, that, that is how creation got broken because of us. And yet there's a picture that creation is waiting for. And in verse 21, Paul says what creation is waiting for. It is waiting for the day when it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and death. So liberated from from the catastrophes of creation and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Creation groans because it knows it's broken and cannot wait for the new heavens and the new earth where God says all tears and sorrow will be wiped away, no more earthquakes, no more forest fires, no more tsunamis, none of it because creation will be restored to its perfect image that I had for it originally, that's the hope for creation that Paul says. And then he keeps going, and now he moves it. Now it's on to us. So we know that creation's been growing, but not just creation. Verse twenty-three, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so here it is. Where we're, again, Paul's real. We're groaning. We look at our lives, and our life is filled with suffering. And even those of us that have life pretty good, there's things that that just we can't get past. There's relationships that are broken, disease that cannot be stopped, uh, consequences in life. And he's saying that we groan, but we have a hope. And that hope is there in verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. Just like creation is going to be restored to its perfect version that God had intended. No earthquakes, none of that stuff. We are going to be restored. Our bodies are going to be restored to that perfect version that God originally had for us. Yes, men, we're going to be able to bench press like 400 pounds, no problem, right? I mean, this is the picture. Ladies, you're going to look good no matter what you put on. It doesn't even matter. you're just going to look amazing in it, that that's the picture that God had de- designed for us, that it was perfect. In our bodies, we have a hope that this body yeah, it, it may not be as healthy as I'd like it to be. This body is going to die. This body uh, might be tormented with, with, with sickness and, and disease, uh, but we've got a new body coming. And so we groan now. We, 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 we face the suffering uh, and the brokenness of ourselves now, but we trust in the hope that God's not just going to give us a new creation, but new bodies as well. And, you kinda, and then from here, you kind of go, all right, well, this is all great, and this is very hopeful and encouraging and, and wonderful. What does it have to do with prayer? Next verse. And here's where Paul ties it all together, and here's where our sermon series ties it all together. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This is one of the most jam packed, awesome single verses in all of Scripture. There is so much going on in this verse. So let me help unpack it a little bit. And so, the first thing, it's kind of fitting. Uh, today is, I know in contemporary service we don't usually talk about the liturgical calendar, but today is Ascension Sunday. Uh, it's the day in the church year where we remember and honor uh, when Christ ascended into heaven. And the reason uh, it matters for this is because what was the promise when Christ ascended? You know, the people are looking and they're saying, well, but, but our Lord, he's gone. I mean, he, he disappeared. He went away from us. And the promise was, once I ascend, I will send my Holy Spirit. And then you will have even better than me. Better than just one Jesus uh, for the whole world. You will have Jesus' spirit itself for everyone. And we see the fruit of that in verse 26. That this same Holy Spirit that couldn't come until after Jesus ascended, uh, that this spirit is now in our hearts in our minds, and that when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit himself enters into our suffering. It's not just creation groaning because it's broken. It's not just us groaning because we're broken. It's God himself groaning because he sympathizes with us. And when we don't know what to pray for, when we lose that purpose, that larger perspective that says here's why and what's going on, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. And that's when the Holy Spirit says, here's my purpose. And the purpose is restoration. The purpose is back to the perfection God originally intended. And so when we talk about the different kinds of prayers we have the last couple months, you see how they're all part of that one larger purpose. We pray for healing Because God's original perfection for us did not involve disease. And so he wants people to be healthy because that's the perfect image that he wants to restore us to. We pray uh, for the lost to be blessed and to come to know God because God's purpose is that all men and women would come to know him as their Lord and Savior, that all of us would be brought into the glorious freedom as children of God. And so when we pray for unbelievers, we're part of that larger purpose because we want them to be part of the children of God. We want them to be adopted into the family just like we've been. When we pray for intercession, uh, it's because there's a catastrophe, there's a problem happening, and we're saying, God, just like you said, your perfect version of this world would have had no catastrophes, no problems. Spare this person the catastrophe that they are facing. Do you see how every kind of prayer that we have talked about fits under this larger purpose, which is this, that God wants it all restored, that God wants it all back to being perfect, factory new, right? And that it doesn't happen because of us. It doesn't happen because we're going to work harder or pray better. And that's the other key thing from this verse 26. Verse 26. That this all happens in our weakness. Creation not going to be restored uh, because we recycle. Now, we should still recycle, but creation not going to be restored for that. Okay, Human beings are never going to stop being kind of jerks. Not going to happen. Some of us will get better than others, but at the end of the day, not going to happen until this new heaven and new earth. And the prayer by the Holy Spirit is what's going to make it happen. And so when we pray, we don't have to pray worried about our weakness. We don't have to pray, oh man, God, this has been a rough week. I don't even know what to pray for these days. Perfect! Verse 26. You don't know what to pray for? Holy Spirit does. The weakness and the sufferings of this world are getting you down, uh, and you're feeling broken and unworthy and unable to keep up with the fight. Perfect. Because God's the one who's going to restore it to perfection, not us. There's an anecdote I want to share with you um, that to me sums it up perfectly. Uh, I'm a bit of a Robin Hood buff. I I love the legend of Robin Hood. It's amazing. Uh, Most of the recent movies have not been so great, but the the legend still remains, and it's great. Uh, But one of the things that, um, that the recent movies haven't captured is there's one of Robin Hood's merry men known as Will Scarlet. And Will Scarlet hasn't gotten a lot of play recently, but he used to be a very popular figure in, in the original Legends and Myths of Robin Hood. He was kind of like the second best. So everything Robin Hood was good at, Will Scarlet was like almost as good. You know? so, so he was almost as good an archer as Robin Hood. He was almost as good a fighter with the bow staff. You know, he was all, and he was kind of the, 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 when Robin couldn't be there, Will Scarlet was a decent you know, second choice. Okay? And, and so this particular legend is not widely known, uh, but, but it's my favorite of all of the Robin Hood legends. And it goes like this, that Will Scarlett, one of Robin Hood's merry men, has been captured by the sheriff. And the sheriff has scheduled his hanging. Uh, his execution is going to be happening uh, that day. And as he's sitting in jail waiting for his execution uh, to happen, um, a visiting uh, group of priests from Rome comes by. Uh, and so they're traveling from, from Rome itself, just traveling through England. Uh, and, and there's a bishop there, and he doesn't even speak any English. He speaks Latin, but he's got some translators. And, um, and they kind of stop in, and they're like, oh, what's the festivities? And, and the sheriff says, oh, well, I'm hanging an outlaw today. And, uh, and, and the group of priests says, oh, well, you know, how exciting, you know, what's going on? And he tells them about it. And, uh, and then the bishop uh, says through a translator, uh, you know, he speaks Latin, and then the translator translates and says, uh, you know, the bishop is actually pretty good at archery. Uh, and is always looking for a chance to, to practice, you know, some of your heathen English sports, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and he'd love to do some sort of a contest, and so the sheriff comes up with this idea. I got it. We're gonna ta- I got this guy, Will Scarlett. We're going to have an archery contest between Will Scarlett and the bishop, and if the bishop wins, then Will Scarlett is going to be hanged as scheduled, but if Will Scarlett wins the archery tournament, he can shoot for his life, uh, and if he wins, I'll let him go free. Uh, and so this is the plan. The sheriff's looking to get some fun and sport out of this. Uh, and so he goes to tell Will Scarlett the new plan. All right, Will, you, you can shoot for your life. Uh, and then the sheriff grabs Will Scarlett's hand and breaks all his fingers. And says, all right, Will, go shoot. And they send Will Scarlett out to face off against this, pre- this bishop. And, and they agree they're going to each get three shots. And out of the three shots, whoever's closest to the target wins the contest and, and the bishop doesn't really speak English but he kind of gets the rules and, and gestures with the bow and lets will shoot first uh, you know being very polite and and so you know will grabs the bow but but his fingers are so he can't pull the string back and so he tries his hardest uh, but he can't pull it and it doesn't pull and, and the, the arrow just kind of lands uh, right in front of him and so then it's the bishop's turn, and the bishop steps up, and he's got pretty good form. He, he seems to know what he's doing, and, and he pulls back the bow and shoots. And something weird happened. It was perfect form, but the arrow goes straight left. I mean, it was a ridiculous shot. I mean, just completely ludicrous. I mean, uh, and, and everyone's kind of, kind of uh, taken aback. Like, how could you miss that badly and, and, and have it come off the bow? And, and now the sheriff's a little worried, because the sheriff's like, I, I thought you were good at this archery. Uh, and, and so he goes out to the bishop, take your time, your eminence, you know, there's no hurry, don't rush, you know, let's get the shot, and so then the bishop hands the bow back to Will, and, and again, his fingers are black and blue, I mean, just completely bloodied and bruised, and, he, and he's trying to pull, and, and he pulls, and he gets it a little farther, but still, it's just a couple feet up, I mean, he can't get anywhere near the target, and then the bow goes back to the bishop, and the bishop pulls back, you know, and the sheriff's saying, all right, take your time, you know, do this right, and so he pulls back, and, shoot, and the arrow goes straight, except that um, Somehow in shooting, the bishop managed to shear off the fletching feather and so it splits the, the target. So the feather goes to one side and the arrow goes to and misses the target completely. And now the sheriff is tearing his hair out in rage. Like, I just need this guy to hit an easy little target. I've broken the other dude's fingers. How hard can this be? And the bishop hands the bow back to Will for the third and final shot. And Will Scarlet is weeping on the ground. His hand hurts so bad he can't do it anymore. Uh, And as the bishop leans down to give him the bow for the third try, Will Scarlet hears the bishop say in English, I got you, Will. It's almost over. I will not let you lose this contest. And he looks up. It's not a bishop. It's Robin Hood in disguise. And his Lord was there to rescue him. And so even with the sheriff's machinations, even with the suffering, even with a broken hand, his Lord was there beside him. And Robin had said to him, Will, draw with, I know you're not left-handed, draw with your left hand because at least you can get the bow back. And so so he puts the bow in his broken right hand and pulls back with his left uh, and still doesn't make it all the way to the target, but the arrow lands at the foot of the target, touching it. And then hands the bow back to the bishop. And the bishop pulls back, makes it look good, and just shoots the arrow so high and far, it skies so far in distance, they don't even see it again. And then the bishop says, uh, through the translator again for the sheriff, it says, well, Will Scarlet wins, he gets set free. And that picture for me is just always moving of the guy with the broken finger, a guy who had relied on his strength up till then. Will Scarlett was an amazing archer, was good at everything he wanted to be good at. Uh, and in the moment of brokenness, in the moment where he couldn't even draw the bow, his Lord says, I will not let you fail. And so when we talk about why we pray... When we talk about the purpose of all of this, it is because God says, I am restoring you and this whole place to perfection, and I will not let that fail. And whatever sufferings you are in, whatever brokenness you feel, however deep in the valley of the shadow of death you think you are that you can't see the sun, I have got this. And my purpose will be done. You will be restored. And as Paul closes our section, and if that God is for us, if our Lord who fulfills his promises and conquered death on our name, if our Lord is for us, who could possibly be against us? Amen.